Keep working on that cross beam, guys. I'll be right back. I just need to make a quick call. Rebecca's Cakes and Catering, how can I help you? Hi, uh, I was calling about my order. Should be under the name uh, Joseph or Mary, and uh, it's, it's a wedding. Oh, and Joseph, well, let's see here. Oh, yes, cake for 200 Expecting quite a crowd at that wedding, huh? Well, well that, that's the thing. See, we, we've had some changes come up, and so what well, I want to talk... You must ta- be so excited for the big day. Finally getting the pleasure love to Miss Mary in front of all your friends and family. Well, then... And with only happy times ahead. Ma'am, please listen. I'm calling to cancel my order. Come again. Look, look, I'm, I'm sorry to be bringing bad news. I really am, but we're, we've had some... Big changes come up, and we're just not going to be needing cake for 200 okay? <laughs> I just don't understand. You said you were expecting 200 Right, but, but now Mary's expecting... I mean, she's, she's not expecting that many oh, people. Why this last minute? Hey, is there something in the oven? Excuse me? You know, I don't know what you're asking, but I don't Carl. appreciate... Carl! Now, what did I tell you about leaving that oven on? I'm, I'm sorry about that, Mr. Joseph, my employees, you know. But look, if this is one of those bachelor party prank calls, it's not very funny. Ma'am, this is, this is not a joke. We just, we have to cancel the order. But I still want to give you business, so what if, what if I bought one of those frozen cakes that serves six to ten? A pre-made frozen? Yeah. You want to downsize from a handcrafted cake for 200 people to a stock Frozen cake. Yes, and I was really hoping that you'd make an exception with your cancellation policy. How were you? Oh, you thought I'd just roll over and let 75% of your invoice slide less than a week ahead of the date, huh? And just what would compel me to do that? Ma'am, please, don't you have, like, an act of God clause or something? Is that supposed to be funny? No. Because it's going to take an act of God for you to dislodge that frozen cake once I... Okay, ma'am, ma'am, I'm sorry. I I have to go back to work, so I'll call you back later, okay? Don't you dare hang up on. (sighs) Well, that went well. Well, if you can remember how stressful it was to plan a wedding then you can imagine how stressful it would be to unplan a wedding. It would feel like your world was turning upside down. Welcome to Christmas, according to Matthew. As we look all the way up through New Year, uh, Christmas Eve at the first two chapters of Matthew... What we're discovering is that the coming of Christ to the world reverses the way we think about a lot of things. Uh, We're going to see that there can be light in the dark, that foolishness can actually be wisdom. We saw last time that out can be in. And what we want to see today is that the coming of Jesus can turn bad news into good news. And we need that because we've all had the experience of good news becoming bad news, right? Like, for example, in 1977 on Super Bowl Sunday, referee Jim Tunney was going to be the lead ref in the game. 
And the coach of the Oakland Raiders was John Madden. Now, some of you young people don't know that before he was a broadcaster, he was actually a football coach. And John Madden said to Jim Tunney, Jim, we're glad you're calling this game. We think you are the second best referee in the league. Good news, right? And so Jim Beam said, well, thank you, coach. But of course, what happened? Curiosity got the best of him. So all through warm-up, I wonder who the best is. So finally, he goes over right before kickoff to Coach Madden and said, Coach, you said I was the second best ref in the league. Who do you think is the best? And Madden said, well, that would be a tie between the other 89 referees in the NFL. <laughs> and so immediately, you see, good news turned into bad news. But Christmas has the power to turn bad news upside down. And so it starts in chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 18. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So the first thing we learn is that Joseph is a good man. And for Joseph, it was the best of times. You see, Joseph was pledged to be married. They did marriage a little different back then. Typically, young people would be matched by parents for a future wedding. And then they had what we would call engagement, but they called it betrothal because it was much more binding. And at that point, ladies, if you didn't want to marry the man your parents had picked, you could get out of it. But once you entered into the pledge period and it lasted one year, it was absolutely binding. Even though you hadn't had the wedding, even though you weren't sexually intimate, you were considered husband and wife. That's why in Jewish law, you'll find the phrase, the widow who is a virgin. And what that meant was that you were a young girl, you were pledged to be married, you're in this year of betrothal, and your young uh, husband-to-be has gone off baby to battle, he's been killed. And according to the Jewish custom, even though you'd never been together sexually, you're considered a widow who is a virgin. So that's the period they're in. Now, typically during that year, the husband would go off, he would start a business, he'd set up a house, and then he would come back. For his bride. And there'd be a big party and a wedding and seven days of feasting. And Joseph is in that period. He's waiting to marry the love of his life. He has accrued enough goodwill in that little town called Nazareth that he started a little carpentry business. And it's going good enough that he thinks he can support a family. And it says he was faithful to the law. And it's literally just the Greek word righteous. Some translation says he was a good man. He was a just man. He was a man who always did what was right. You want your daughter to meet a man like Joseph. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of high moral character. He's a hardworking man who's going to do the right thing. But bad things can happen to good people. And the best of times became the worst of times when she was found to be pregnant. 
and a good man got some bad news. Now, that reminds me of the children's pageant years ago, and all the kids are in their bathrobes playing the different parts, and little bathrobe Joseph and little bathrobe Mary came to the inn and asked if they could have a place to stay, and the innkeeper said no, and little bathrobe Joseph says, but we've come very far and we're very tired, and the innkeeper said no, and then little bathrobe Joseph says, but you see, my wife is about to have a baby. And that's at the point that the innkeeper went off script and said, well, that's not my fault. And little bathrobe Joseph went off script and said, well, it's not my fault either. (laughs) You see, one reason the betrothal period lasted a year was to prove the purity of the bride. We saw last time that family records were very important to the Jewish people. It was important to know who was the father of who. And so that year period was a way of assuring everybody that any child she ever had would be of the man she was about to marry. Now Mary has been gone for several months down in the Judean hill country visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Joseph's been working hard, setting up the house, building up the business. And he gets word that Mary's back in town. Have you seen her? Joseph, no, I need to go see Mary. Yes, you need to go see Mary. And with just a glance, Joseph's entire picture of his desired future gets turned upside down. And there's no record that Mary tried to explain to Joseph how she became pregnant. And really, even if she tried, who was going to believe her? As far as Joseph was concerned, Mary had done wrong. But he's a good man. And he doesn't believe that two wrongs make a right. Now, he could have publicly disgraced Mary for the sake of his own honor to uphold his own virtue he could have brought her out before the village he could have made his case that there's no way he could be the father of this baby but he was a good man and so at the risk of his own reputation he decided I'll give her some money enough to get to another town She can have the baby there. She can make up whatever story she wants to make up. And she can start a new life for herself. And he went to bed. And while he was asleep, he got a small little message that led him to make a decision that everybody told him was a big mistake. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But 
He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph's mother and father didn't tell him he ought to do this. The local rabbi did not counsel what Joseph decided to do. Nobody in the village thought it was a good idea. Now, by marrying Mary, he gave to her baby legal status in Jewish culture as his heir and son. But in doing so, he lost his reputation. He lost the goodwill of his community. He lost his image as a righteous man. And probably lost capacity to build a better business. He even sacrificed for a time the right and privilege of every man to have sex with the woman that God told him to marry. And this is not just a one-time emotional surrender on Joseph's part. This is the beginning of a lifestyle of dying to self. In the second chapter, three more times, an angel is going to say to him in a dream, you've got to pick up, you've got to move everything and go completely resettle in a new place. And all three times, Joseph is going to respond with simple, immediate, Obedience. He even named the boy Jesus. Now, in their culture, the first son was almost always named after the daddy. So by naming him Jesus, he's simply highlighting to the world he's not the boy's biological father. Why would such a good man make what everyone thought was such a bad choice? According to Kendall, through November of 2014, one line from a book has been highlighted almost twice as much as any other line. It's from the second volume of a trilogy of books called The Hunger Games. The trilogy is about... A bunch of young people who are trained to entertain the world through senseless and meaningless combat. And here is the sentence. Because sometimes things happen to people. And they're not equipped to deal with them. You may or may not be familiar or you may or may not like the series, but it's captured the heart of a generation of young people who are being trained for a world that they feel completely ill-equipped to handle, a world full of terrorism, racial strife, uncertain economy, huge amounts of debts and no guarantee of a good job. And here's Joseph. Asked to step bravely into a completely scary and uncertain future. And he doesn't feel unequipped. 
He was able to deal with unexpected events because of an upside-down perspective that saw bad news as good news. You see, that angel said some things to Joseph that turned upside-down his view of Mary's situation. Joseph decided that God for us is actually good news. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name is his mission. You see, if you're okay and I'm okay, there never would have been a Christmas. But Jesus was born to do something for us. Because we're all born with something called a sin nature. What I love about Christmas is the joy it brings to kids. But the other thing about kids is their proof of why we had to have Christmas. And so, in one of those chicken soup books, a woman named Kayla says she was at the grocery store with her three-year-old daughter, Avery. And she saw a coloring book that she thought would be a good stocking stuffer for her daughter. So she tried to sneak it off the shelf and stick it under some groceries in the cart. But Avery saw and her mother was up to something. So she started asking what was under the groceries at the bottom of the cart. And her mother couldn't distract her. And so finally she just pulled it out and said, Avery, I was going to give this to you at Christmas. And her reply stunned the mama. Little Avery said, Mama. I already have so many things under the tree. I don't need that for Christmas. And her heart melted at the generosity of her little girl until little Avery grabbed the coloring book and said, I need it right now. (laughs) The reason Jesus came is because deep within all of us is this bent toward rebellion and selfishness, and sin. And Jesus came to earth because our sin was going to keep us out of heaven. The wages of sin is death. Only a sinful man should die. Only a sinless man could die as a substitute. And there were no sinless men. Until Bethlehem. When Mary gave birth to a boy. Fully God. Fully man. And fully willing and able to take our place. He came a long way leaving heaven to come to the manger. But if that's as far as he had gone. If he had not gone to the cross. He still would not have gone far enough to save. See, what makes Christianity upside down from all the other religions of the world is simply at its core, Christianity is about what God does for us, not what we do for God. Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, the gift that God gave that day is God's way of saying to you, you can relax and stop 
trying to convince me that I should be for you. What more can I do to show you I am for you? John put it this way. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. So that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. It's not that we love God. It's that God loves us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Now, I don't know how, but at some level, Joseph got this. He understood that just being a good man isn't good enough. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you still operate on the theology that God saves good people. Here's what you need to hear. Us for God saves nobody. God for us can save anybody. And for Joseph, the good news trumped the bad news. God is for us. God is with us. And that's good news. It was never God's desire to have a long-distance relationship with His children. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call Him Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas says the God who is above longs to be with. My friend Max Licata was invited to the White House along with 30 other religious leaders just after 9-11. So he's waiting to meet the president, feeling completely out of place, and then walks President Bush. Now, President Bush grew up in Midland, about 30 minutes from Andrews, Texas, where Max grew up. And so when he shook his hand, he said, Mr. President, I'm from Andrews, Texas. And he says the president kind of straightened up. His drawl got a little more distinct. And he said... I know your town. I've walked your streets. I've even played your golf course. And there was a connection. The most powerful man in the world has been to my neighborhood. His name is not God was with us. His name is God is with us. The promise of Christmas is the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God, even in the worst of times. In the emergency room, at the funeral home, in the jail. God with us doesn't mean that good people aren't going to experience some bad stuff. It means God understands. You ever been betrayed by a friend? You ever been misunderstood? Has anybody ever said anything about you that wasn't true? God's walked that street. But it's not just that He understands. It's that He promises through His Holy Spirit 
to let you know he's there with you. And you don't have to be afraid. God says in Hebrews 13, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we will say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And so you have this witness of this upside down group of people that follow Jesus who go through the same hard stuff everyone else is going through. But there's a peace about them. There's a serenity about them. There is a a courage about them that can only be understood as coming from the presence of the Spirit of God. You see, good news is not the absence of crisis. It's the presence of God. And what the angel was actually doing that night was turning Joseph's perspective right side up. God for us is good news. God with us is good news. And So is God through us. And I want you to think about something I've never heard someone talk about at Christmas, but I think it's part of the message. Joseph had his future planned out. He was going to marry Mary. They were going to live in Nazareth. They were going to build a thriving little carpentry business. They were going to have a lot of kids. They were going to be active in the local synagogue. Obedience. Cost. Joseph, the future he had planned. But it gave Joseph a future as a part of the plan of God. You see what the angel is really doing is saying, Joseph, will you cooperate with God's mission? And will you allow God to work through you to bring Jesus to the world? And Christmas is still asking each of us the same question. We think bad news is because we've got big problems. No, bad news is not the largeness of our problems. Bad news is the smallness of our goals. The way most people play trivial pursuit with their lives, you would think the Christmas story is just a myth. Let's get out the decorations, let's sing a few songs, go to a couple of parties, and then let's box up Jesus and put him back in the attic. And if you spend your life trying to find meaning, chasing what is eternally mundane, do not be shocked that you will be completely ill-equipped to handle the news that there's a spot on that x-ray. That your job is being taken away. What are you going to do when the police call and your kid's in jail? Upside down Christmas is offering a way to find a meaning for your life that you can't.
can't get at a mall or wrap and put under a tree. You want to see the most upside down statement ever made in history? It's right here. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for Jesus will find it. And Christmas asks you and me to believe that. And Joseph did. Against the counsel of all the people he knew, he decided to lose his life for Jesus. We have no record of Joseph ever speaking a word, but we don't need it. His life is a sermon. And by the way, it should be noted that he went to his grave never having his choice validated. They buried Joseph with everyone still thinking he made a bad choice. But history and eternity have validated his upside-down decision. Because good always trumps bad. When your life's mission is to help bring Jesus to the world. And that's why, after all these years, my all-time favorite Christmas illustration is still this one. It was in Guidepost magazine almost 50 years ago. The little boy's name was Wallace. Wallace was slow of body and mind. He was nine years old and he was still in the second grade. He probably had learning disabilities, but very few people knew about such things back then. Wallace wasn't popular. He wasn't ever chosen first for anything. But he desperately wanted to be in the Christmas pageant. And the teacher's thinking, what can I give Wallace? Because anything with a lot of lines, he won't handle. So she decided he could be the innkeeper. All he's got to do is say, the inn is filled. And so the night for the play came. And little bathrobe Joseph and Mary come to the inn. And ask for a place to stay. And Wallace says, the inn is full. And Joseph says, sir, we're very tired and we've come a long way. And little Wallace says, the inn is full. And then Joseph turns to Mary and says, sir, my wife is about to have a baby. And then there was this awkward pause. Long enough that even the audience was getting nervous. And off stage, you could hear the prompter saying, No, be gone. No, be gone. And finally, Wallace said, No, be gone. And sad little Joseph and Mary turned around and started to walk away. And that's when they said you could see his brow crease. You could unmistakably see tears well up in his eyes. And then Wallace stepped out with a big smile and said, wait, 
Joseph, Mary, you can have my room. And some people thought the pageant was ruined. But most people thought it was the best Christmas pageant they'd ever seen. Because bad always gets trumped by good when you live to welcome Jesus. We live in a world full of bad news. And Christmas is calling us to live upside down. You see, when Mary delivered the baby, God delivered the goods. You've gotten bad news and you're going to get some more. But we're not unequipped, are we? Aren't we supposed to be a witness to a world that does not feel equipped to handle bad news? That somebody can. We know that God is still for us. We know that God will face it with us. And we know that God will work through us. Even when it's tough. To help bring Jesus to the world. We know, the Bible says, that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves Him. And so Joseph didn't get that storybook wedding. He didn't get that carpentry empire. He didn't get the future he planned. But he didn't miss it. Because he didn't miss Jesus. And this Christmas, you need to make sure that you don't either. I'm going to pray for you. So, Father... I know right now you have brought into the hearing of this message someone and probably many someones who desperately need this word. They have allowed their perspective to be shaped not by the coming of Jesus but by the coming of bad news. And so I'm praying, Father, just like the Holy Spirit descended on Mary, I'm praying right now the Holy Spirit will descend into the heart of the person who needs hope, who needs courage, who needs faith, that your future will triumph. So come, O oh come, Emmanuel. Amen. Let's all stand up. Upstairs and down, we're going to have prayer leaders. I think prayer is one of the greatest gifts we offer as a church. And it's available every single week. Someone to hug you, someone to love you, and to take your name before the Father. Why would you not want that gift? So we're down, available to talk to you, to pray with you, and to bring your life to Christ while we worship.